0: Welcome back to the Titanic Museum Attraction Podcast. I am Officer Emily, and have you ever wondered how ships at sea communicated ship-to-shore or ship-to-ship before Titanic? Well, the answer to that is really unbelievable. They didn't. They relied on very primitive methods, explosive flares or the semaphore flag. That meant that once a ship left port, she would be out of touch with the world until she reached her destination. The only way to know a ship had met with trouble was its failure to return to shore. Well, at the start of the 20th century, way before Bill Gates and Steve Jobs revolutionized the way we stay in touch today, an Irish-Italian inventor by the name of Guglielmo Marconi, was poised to turn the recently discovered airwaves. Mr. Marconi was truly the first global figure in modern communication to connect the world wirelessly. So you could honestly say his invention laid the groundwork for the internet, emails, and smartphones that we all use today. It follows that Mr. Marconi would take his wireless system to see making communication between moving ships a reality. And just like that, ships at sea were no longer alone. As the crown jewel in the White Star Line's fleet of luxury liners, RMS Titanic was not only the most elegant ship, she was the most technologically advanced. White Star Line was quick to see the benefits of this modern wireless technology and created an onboard workstation on Titanic to house the Marconi equipment, which included the most powerful transmitter on the sea. Now, for the first time, it was possible to reach New York or London from the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Can you imagine this happening in 1912? The Marconi room itself consisted of three rooms, including a sleeping room for the marconi train telegrapher's use. Jack Phillips was the senior wireless operator, and Harold Bride was the junior operator. Wireless was mostly a curiosity when Titanic cast off on her maiden voyage. A novelty of sorts, for Titanic's well-heeled first-class passengers to send fun notes To those back home. Its primary use would not be truly tested until four nights into the voyage. The Marconi service proved so popular in the first two days of the crossing. Jack Phillips and Harold Bride sent approximately 250 Marconi grams ship to shore. Senders were charged by the letter so most quickly learn to keep their messages short. For example, a message sent on to Los Angeles read, No sickness, all well. Another wrote, Fine voyage, fine ship. And a longer, more romantic thought going on to New York City read, Hello boy, dining with you tonight in spirit, heart with you always. Best love, girl. Little did they know that the spirit of their Marconi-grams would drastically change. The wireless message took a dramatic turn when Titanic struck the iceberg, and Titanic's Captain Smith turned to his only lifeline, the Marconi wireless system, and the two young operators would send out to the world
1: CQD! 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 Come at once! We have struck a bird! It's
0: CQD, old man! Sinking by the head! These messages caused confusion and disbelief. Some saw the rockets and flares from a far distance and thought the mighty Titanic was happily celebrating her maiden voyage. When reality struck, they quickly forwarded the distress signals to all ships at sea hoping one would be close enough to help save the 2,208 souls on board. When lifeboats were being loaded, Jack Phillips and Harold Bride stuck to their jobs, tapping out updates on the ship's condition. Come
1: quick! The engine room is nearly full!
0: Sadly, Jack Phillips did not survive the sinking. But his heroic actions... Staying at his post until power was lost will never be forgotten.
1: I will never live to forget the work of Jack Phillips during the last awful 15 minutes.
0: Quoted by his surviving Marconi partner. Here now is a letter junior wireless operator Harold Bride wrote on April twenty seventh, 1912 to Mr. Cross, The Traffic Manager of the Marconi Company.
1: Dear Sir, hearing of the conflicting reports concerning the loss of the Titanic, which are being spread around, I think it is advisable for me to give you, to the best of my ability, a true account of the disaster, so that the Marconi Company may be in full possession of all the facts. I regret to say my memory fails me with regard to the time of the occurrence or any of the preceding incidents, but otherwise I am sure of all my statements. The night before the disaster, Mr. Phillips and myself had a deal of trouble owing to the leads from the secondary of the Transformers having burnt through the inside of the casing and made contact with certain iron bolts holding the woodwork and frame together, thereby shorting the power to a great extent. After binding these leads with rubber tape, we once more had the apparatus in perfect working order, but not before we had put nearly six hours' work in, Mr. Phillips being of the opinion that, in the first place, it was the condensers which had broken, and these we had out and examined before locating the damage in the transformer. Owing to this trouble, I had promised to relieve Mr. Phillips on the following night at midnight, instead of the usual 2 a.m., as he seemed very tired. During Sunday afternoon toward 5 p.m., I was called by the Californian, call letters MWL, with an ICE report, but I did not immediately answer, as I was writing up the abstracts, and also, it used to take us some considerable time to start up the motor and alternator, since it's not advisable to leave them working, as the alternator was liable to run hot. I, however, acknowledged the receipt of the report when the Californian transmitted it to the Baltic ship, and I took it myself to the officer on the watch on the bridge. Neither Mr. Phillips nor I, to my acknowledge, received any further ICE reports. About 9 p.m., I turned in and woke on my own accord, just about midnight, relieving Mr. Phillips' had just finished sending a large batch of telegrams to Cape Race. Mr. Phillips told me apparently we had struck something. As previous to my turning out, he had felt the ship tremble and stop, and expressed an opinion we should have to return to Belfast. I took over the telegraph from him, and he was preparing to retire when Captain Smith entered the cabin and told us to get assistance immediately. Mr. Phillips resumed the phones after asking the captain if he should use the regulation distress call CQD. The captain said yes, and Mr. Phillips started with CQD, having obtained the latitude and longitude of the Titanic. The Frankfurt ship was the first to answer. We gave him the Titanic's position, which he acknowledged by, OK, stand by. The second answer was from the Carpathia ship, who immediately responded with his position and informed us, He was coming to our assistance as fast as possible. These communications I reported myself to the captain, who was, when I found him, engaging in superintending the filling and lowering of lifeboats. The noise of the escaping steam directly over our cabin caused a great deal of trouble to Mr. Phillips in reading the replies to our distress call. And this I also reported to Captain Smith, who by some means managed to get it abated, The Olympic ship was next to answer our call, but as far as I know, Mr. Phillips did not go to much trouble with her as we now realize the awful state of affairs, the ship listing heavily to port and forward. The captain also came in and told us she was sinking fast and could not last longer than half an hour. Mr. Phillips then went outside to see how things were progressing, and meanwhile I established communication with the Baltic ship, telling him we were in urgent need of assistance. This I reported to Mr. Phillips on his return, but suggested Baltic was too far away to be of any use. Mr. Phillips told me the forward well deck was underwater, and we got our life belts out and tied one on each other after putting on additional clothing. Again, Mr. Phillips called CQD and SOS, and for nearly five minutes got no reply. And then both the Carpathia ship and the Frankfurt ship called. Just at this moment, the captain came into the cabin and said, You can do nothing more. Look out for yourselves. Mr. Phillips again resumed the telegraph, and after listening a few seconds, jumped up and fairly screamed, The fool! He says, What's up, old man? I asked, Who? Mr. Phillips replied, The Frankfurt ship and at that time it seemed perfectly clear to us that the Frankfurt's operator had taken no notice or misunderstood our first call for help. Mr. Phillips' reply to this was, You fool! Stand by and keep out. Undoubtedly, both Mr. Phillips and I were under a great strain at this time. But though the committee inquiring into the facts on this side are inclined to censure that reply... I am still of the opinion that Mr. Phillips was justified in sending it. Leaving Mr. Phillips operating, I went on to our sleeping cabin and got all our money together, returning to find a fireman or coal trimmer, gently relieving Mr. Phillips of his life belt. There immediately followed a general skirmish with the three of us. I regret to say that we left too hurriedly to take the man in question with us. And, without a doubt, he sank with the ship in the Marconi cabin as we left him. I had up to this time kept the log entries up, intending, when we left, to tear out the sheet. But now we could hear the water washing over the boat deck, and Mr. Phillips said, Come, let's clear out. We had nearly the whole time been in possession of full power from the ship's dynamo, though toward the end the light sank, and we were ready to stand by with emergency apparatus and candles, but there was no necessity to use them. Leaving the cabin, we climbed on top of our the officer quarters and our own, and here I saw the last of Mr. Phillips, for he disappeared walking out. I now assisted in pushing off a collapsible lifeboat, which was on the port side of the forward funnel onto the boat deck. Just as the boat fell, I noticed Captain Smith dive from the bridge into the sea. Then followed a general scramble down on the boat deck. But no sooner had we got there than the sea washed over. I managed to catch hold of the boat that we had previously fixed up and was swept overboard with her. I then experienced the most exciting three or four hours anyone could reasonably wish for, and was in due course with the rest of the survivors, picked up by the Carpathia ship. As you have probably heard, I got on the collapsible boat a second time, which was, as I had left it, upturned. I called Philip several times, but got no response but learned later from several sources that he was on this lifeboat and expired even before we were picked up by the Carpathia ship. I am told, fright and exposure was the cause of his death. As far as I can find out, he was taken on board the Carpathia and buried at sea from her, though for some reason the bodies of those who had died were not identified before burial from the Carpathia and so I cannot vouch for the truth of this. After a short stay in the hospital of the Carpathia, I was asked to assist Mr. Cottam, the telegraph operator, who seemed fairly worn out with work. Hundreds of telegrams from survivors were waiting to go on as soon as we could get in communication with the shore stations. Regarding the workings of Carpathia, the list of survivors, Mr. Cottom told me, had been sent to the Minnewaska and the Olympic ships. When we established communication with the various coast stations all of which had heavy traffic for us, in some cases running into hundreds of messages, we told them we would only accept service and urgent messages, as we knew the remainder would be press and messages inquiring after someone on the Titanic. It is easy to see why we might have spent hours receiving messages inquiring after some survivor, while we had a message waiting from that survivor for a transmission. News was not withheld by Mr. Cottam or myself with the idea of making money, but because, as far as I know, the captain of the Carpathia was advising Mr. Cottam to get off the survivor's traffic first. 75% of this we got off. On arrival in New York, Mr. Marconi came on board with a reporter of the New York Times, also Mr. Samus was present, And I received $500 for my story, which both Mr. Marconi and Mr. Samus authorized me to tell. I have forgotten to mention that the United States government sent out a ship, as they said, to assist us, named the Chester. Several messages passed between the commander of that vessel and the Carpathia, and resulted in the captain telling us to transmit the names of third-class passengers to the Chester though it has since been reported that the most expert operator in the United States Navy was on board the Chester, I had to repeat those names, nearly 300 in all, several times to him, taking up nearly a couple of hours of valuable time, though I sent them in the first place slowly and carefully. I am now staying with relatives, and awaiting orders from the Marconi Company here, who have been most considerate and kind, buying me much-needed clothes and looking after me generally. I am glad to say I can now walk around, the sprain in my left foot being much better, though my right foot remains numbed from the exposure and cold, but causes me no pain or inconvenience whatsoever. I greatly appreciate the cable the company so kindly sent me and thank them for the same. Trusting this report will be satisfactory until my return to England, I beg to remain... Yours obediently, Harold S. Bride
0: We are so thankful for the heroic and life-saving actions taken by Mr. Phillips and Mr. Bride. We are honored to share his letter, and a special thank you to our very own Officer Ryan for bringing Mr. Bride's words to life in this podcast. Of the 2,208 that were aboard Titanic, only 712 would make it back to shore in New York, where so many of the earlier Marconigrams were received. Here at the Titanic Museums in Branson, Missouri and Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, We hope to impress upon all of our listeners how important communication was and remains today. With modern technology, it is easier than ever to send a loved one a special note. So, we hope you take this opportunity to do just that. Send a text, write a letter, or make a phone call. And do it in honor of Titanic's heroes of communication, the Marconi operators.